Uh, for this morning's instruction, I would like to start with the second chapter of Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, First Timothy. First of all, I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that they might lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So in these first four verses, Paul is talking to Timothy about prayer. He's talking about what is called intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer would be made by a group on behalf of an individual. We could, as a group, uh, get together and we could pray for our leaders. We could pray for healing for someone in our congregation or someone we know that needs uh, help. And the only help they can get is from God our Savior. And when he says this uh, in verse 3, this is good and pleases, it pleases God our Savior, this is the only place in Paul's writing where he talks about God as Savior. He only talks about Jesus being the Savior or Jesus Christ. So it's interesting to see how he is using this phrase to put our reminder in remembrance to be able to give our praise to those who are in leadership positions. And he's using God as an example in this case. So he says, we are to pray, we are to give thanks, we are to, and, and it's to be made. The word here in my Bible says for everyone. So it's not something that we should be ashamed to do it's, it's something that we should be happy and proud that we have God on our side, that we could, we're able to put prayer into a place that it gives reverence not only to what God can do, but to those, his children also. And then in verse 4 he says, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So it says in verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. What is Paul saying here about God our Savior? He's saying, and I think you've heard me before, say before, that there's the mediator. The mediator is a person that goes between one group and another group and satisfies a requirement. He's not necessarily a lawyer, but he's paid to, to mediate situations that could come up and be real troublesome, not only for the individual, but for the group. So when he says there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, and that would be who? Of course, it has to be Jesus Christ. 
because Jesus Christ came created by God through a woman, which makes him human. And in that humanity, he gives himself as a ransom. What's the ransom? We talk about something here in the news, we hear of kidnappings and things that go on, and groups request a payment. The payment is, in this case, Jesus himself. And what does he do? He gives a testimony for all. And in one of Paul's other writings, he says, and uh, Jesus will stand before God our Father and say, these are the children, these are the ones you gave me. So he's saying to his Father, he's mediating for us as a ransom payment for our sins. So how do we get to know this Jesus? We hear about him, we think about him, in public sector, they talk about him at, at times, but they don't talk about him in terms of the gospel in most cases. They talk about him as being a benevolent, kind person, but they don't talk about the agony and the suffering and the pain that he went through to be our mediator. His life was not a perfect life in terms of his conditions on earth. He was perfect in every way without sin, but he didn't lead a life that would, a king would lead, say, for example. He didn't live in a palace. He didn't live someplace where he had a lot of luxury. He gave up everything. He slept on the ground. Sometimes he used a stone for a pillow. And he didn't seem to mind that. Why? Because he knew what his greater story was going to be. And that's something I think about at times when we sit and ponder about this Jesus. You think that from heaven he knew that he was coming here. He knew beforehand, before the world was created, that perhaps his services would be needed. And he came through that woman and became a human being and do you think because he's in tune with his father, one with his father, that he would know the heavenly thoughts? But at the same time, knowing what his responsibility is for us here as sinners, that he didn't have some sadness and some agony about that, Verse 7 says, For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I'm telling you the truth, I am not lying. And a teacher to, of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So Paul is separating himself from the other apostles. What is it, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle? A disciple is one who follows and gets taught by those who become authorities, not just to be over an overlord, but they become authorities of the word. An apostle is familiar with the administration of the church and also how to teach those who are 
going to become disciples. So Jesus has apostles, he's teaching them, and they are going to be, to bring into the fold disciples. Now these disciples are the ones that we see from Bible history, but we also know that you and I are, are disciples. We are to spread and talk about Jesus. We're supposed to talk about the gospel. We're supposed to offer forgiveness of sins to all those on the outside. It's not a limiting thing. Because if we go back to verse 4, where it says, Who wants everyone to be saved and everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth? He's not talking about small groups of people. He's talking about the leaders, the kings, the authorities. And that's why when we pray, even in church, and I have, and I know Sven has, in front of the congregation, has prayed for the leaders of the country, those who are in service to the country, those who take care of the sick in the hospitals, those who work with the elderly in nursing homes, that's our duty. Why? Because we have the lifeline. We have the lifeline from Jesus. And Jesus hears our prayers, even if they're just whispers, even if they're just sighs. He hears our prayers. And so then he's talking about, for this I was appointed a, a herald, someone who brings the news. In Scotland, they used to have these town criers, which were heralds. And we had these elderly friends who, would, who told us about what it was like when they were little kids before World War II. The town crier would be walking around at night as kind of like an, a policeman, watching the town, making sure that no trouble was starting. But he was like the town alarm clock and we and and uh, this Isa used to tell us she said you know them guys would come around of course she's talking with a Scottish brogue and she she would say these guys would come around and they would knock us up every morning because a lot of people in our town went to work for Singer sewing machine and we got knocked up every morning so of course we thought that was kind of funny but that, what that really puts in, into place is that there is someone who is watching, who is there to remind us, who will knock us up when we start to drift. And that's most important for us to know. So we have Paul, who taught Timothy. Timothy was a leader in the churches in Ephesus. He probably planted churches he probably planted disciples. And so that grew and grew until all have, to this day, have had an opportunity to hear the word. Now, the other thing that Paul is talking about when he's talking about prayers is he's talking about these, the kings and all those who are in, uh, in authority so that we may lead tranquil lives. 
That means that we live without fear of government reprisal for how we believe. That the leaders are aware enough of salvation and faith that they let those who want to believe that way, believe that way. When you think about that, that's a big task, isn't it? Because there are a lot of places, especially in the world, where people who gather for churches are persecuted, sometimes they're killed. Sometimes their buildings of worship is, are burned. So then in verse eight, he says, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. In the synagogues in the Old Testament times in early Jew, um, Christianity, when they were in the synagogue and they prayed, the, the prayer leaders always had their hands raised to God. Today, a lot of churches have people who sing and they stand up and sing and they raise their hands and they call that worship. And that's only a partial demonstration of wor worship because everything that we do to the glory of God is worship when we treat others kindly, when we do good things for other people, we feed the hungry, say for example, feed those people who are in need in, in our society, we're worshiping God. We're showing the world who God is. So he's asking the men especially, because the men are leaders. Paul has a definite opinion about what women should do and how women should act in the church. But he's saying that men are leaders and they should be setting the pace. So then he's saying also when he says lifting holy hands without anger or argument. So when we come to church and we're lifting up our hands to pray for God, to God, for example, Let's not be angry that we have to be in church, or let's not be angry because we're called upon to pray, but to do it with a happy heart. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as proper for women who affirm that they worship God. This could be put to a discriminating, if you want, or a discerning person, like he doesn't want women to, to have nice clothes. This could be put in a, in a place where he says that, and a lot of times in, in churches that are uh, tend to be more law-minded, they would say that if you dress yourself up, that's a sin. What is he saying here, though? Don't make yourself noticeable to the point where people who come to be in church to hear the word of God, are their attention is taken away by how you dress and how you present yourself. So does it mean that you're not supposed to look good? I don't think so. What he's saying is that in their day, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, the rich women came and they elevated themselves by looking rich. 
and they adorned themselves in such a way that all the poor people had to look at them. And they were intimidated or jealous or whatever, and that would take them away from their first focus, which would be on God and Jesus our Savior. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. And here's his argument for that. His argument is for Adam was created first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. So he's saying, Paul, in his belief, he's saying that women should be silent. Why is he saying that women should be silent? We could have a discussion about that. Why are women to be silent? Women are t tend to be more, way more emotional than men. Not a bad thing. But sometimes they get caught up in the emotion rather than focus on Jesus or God. And so they are put to a place where, in Paul's opinion, that they shouldn't get excited about things that aren't necessarily doctrinal, if you will, that aren't necessarily that important for salvation. So what he's saying here also is that he's talking about Adam was created first and then Eve. So Adam was the first born human being. And so he should be the leader of this Eve, his wife. But verse 14 says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. The woman indeed was tempted, but where was Adam if he was the leader? What was he doing when Eve was being tempted by the devil? Was he standing back and letting her have her way? It doesn't say, does it? But I would think that Paul has a really strict law-minded attitude with this because women are nurturing, women are caring, women provide lots of healing because they go to help others that are definitely in need. In this instance, he's saying that they should be silent. But later on, they talk about women being teachers. And a teacher probably isn't in the top leadership position of the, of the like in a Sunday school, say, for example. Or back in the day when they are put in place where they are to mentor young women in child raising and homemaking and how to put things together for the household because that's a necessary thing too and even that is worship so why do we want to talk about what Paul puts forth important things for Timothy what are the important things that Paul is trying to put out to Timothy we can look this we can read this literally And we can see that when he, if we go back to verse 7 for a minute. For this I was appointed a herald and apostle. 
and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is why Paul is talking this way. Paul is talking to Timothy, who was in Ephesus, where probably they didn't have a big Jewish population. He's talking to Timothy in a way that, they, that Timothy should know that the majority of his work is going to be done with people who have no Jewish background. He's talking to people who would say that women have strong opinions. He's talking to people who would say they're the ones that are in authority. So Paul is trying to remind Timothy that in his work in the church, he should be focusing on the church work and bringing people to an understanding that this God that we have is our Savior. And the way that he is our Savior, he allowed Jesus Christ to be born as a human being. This human being came to earth and he suffered and died. What's the difference between Jesus Christ and one of the other martyrs that we hear about, we could read about? Jesus was sinless. Jesus was sinless in his martyrdom. All of those other martyrs were able to give a testimony to who? First to Jesus and then to God their Savior. If we think about this in, in terms of how we live, we should be able to go back to the beginning of our faith. The first time we realize that we are truly a Christian, the happiness that we felt when we literally felt that burden of sin lifted, lifted away from us. And in that happiness, we become very, very aware that someone cares so deeply for you, the corrupt and immoral person that we all are, that he wants to take us to paradise. We need to think about that. For emphasis on this, let's go to 1 Corinthians. And let's look at chapter 4. Let's start with the beginning. A person should consider us in this way, as servants of Christ, as managers of God's mysteries. In this regard, it is expected that of managers that each one of them be found faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. Then praise will come to each one from God. So Paul is, is trying to teach Timothy, this is the way we need to work. So then he goes on in verse 6 to say, Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us, the saying, nothing beyond what is written, the purpose of 
is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another who makes you so superior. Who makes you so superior? We do. What do you have that you didn't receive? What do we have that we didn't get from God? In fact, you did receive it. Why do you boast that you haven't received it? So he's saying that they got it for themselves. A rich man will boast about his wealth, but he doesn't talk about the, the God of creation that gave him the mind and the ability to earn that money. And his work, if it's in that, that capacity, is to himself. But he's, he's, if he's thankful and grateful for what he has opportunities in this life, He's worshiping God. You are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could come and reign, or also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless, we labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the world's garbage, like the dirt everyone scrapes off their sandals. So this is how he's talking about humility. So if we are good in ourselves, the goodness comes from God our Savior. If we have any good gift, it's from God our Savior. If we have any good occupation and we thrive in it, it's from worship to God our Savior. So when we get so short-sighted that we cannot see the evidence of the ability that we have, we're not worshiping. So let's this pet next week, let's keep focused on how we are to act in the church, how we are to become part of the church, how we are to pray, how we are to stand up and spread the gospel and not be ashamed, because that's exactly what Paul was telling Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't let any old person tell you to shut up. If you have the confidence of the gospel, God gives you permission to talk and to talk about him and to talk about the work he did through son Jesus on the cross of Calvary so that everyone can be blessed with the forgiveness of sins in the name and blood of Jesus. Because by that matter, the gate of heaven becomes open and our mediator, Jesus Christ, stands in front of his father and says, yeah, these are my loved ones. 
These are the ones I picked up on the road. These are the ones that were embattled. These are the ones that were persecuted. These are the ones that were killed for you. In Jesus' name, amen.